Um, and we'll, uh, we'll pray and start the message. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, uh, bless this time, uh, uh, bless the, the preaching that I do, um, um, help me to speak words that are, are um, reflecting on your will and, and reflecting on the message that's properly presented in the text. And um, I ask that you would open the hearts of those who are here and help them to hear your word and help them to um, come to know you more through the, through the experience. In Christ's name, amen. Um, we are in uh, Colossians. This is a four-chapter book, and this is part seven of this series. I don't know what that says, um, except that there's a lot to it. Um, the, uh, the, the background here, I'm going to kind of run through part of it real quick, because um, um, there's some repetition to this week after week. I'm sure folks are like, could get up and recite that Paul wrote this letter and that he didn't plant this church, but he was asked by the fellow who did plant it to write a letter to deal with some teaching that was going on, some incorrect teaching. Um, and so Paul was writing this letter um, dealing with the incorrect teaching that, that was um, largely about, um, it was probably Jewish Gnosticism, which doesn't mean anything to most of y'all, um, but this, this Jewish Gnosticism, one of the things they taught was in order to overcome sin, in order to be closer to God and be right before God, you had to obey certain rules and you couldn't touch certain things and you couldn't eat certain things, you couldn't drink certain things. They had all these rules. And they said, if you can follow these rules perfectly, you will be right before God. And um, Paul just blasts that and destroys it. Um, he, he comes around, and, and last week we talked about um, um, this different standard. Right out of the gate, like two weeks ago, we talked about the laws that they were giving. You know, All of these, do this to be right before God. And the problem is that None of us are going to be right before God by doing stuff. None of you can, first off, undo your past by being good today, right? Like if I were to go home today and hit my wife, which I wouldn't because I'm far too afraid of her, um, but it doesn't matter how great of a husband I am for the rest of our marriage, it doesn't undo that, right? I mean, like, fact of the matter is that no matter how good you are, it doesn't make the past perfect. Um, and the other thing is that um, God's standard for us to be good is so high it would be a little like, like me expecting my, my baby Titus to, to jump over the Olympic high jump record, right? He can't do it. We can't do it. Like, none of us can reach the standard of what God, like, expects for perfection. Um, and because of that, he, he sends his son who lives perfect and then takes punishment in our place, right? And Paul talks about, look, you know, you can't earn it. You need to believe and have faith that Jesus was God's son and that he died for your sins. And then in last week's message, we looked at how do you overcome sin? How do you overcome that like constant pull to do the wrong thing? Well, you keep your eyes up, right? Like you keep your eyes on Jesus. You keep your eyes on the perfect version of you that's going to be revealed at the end of the world. And you live your life trying to be like Jesus, right? Like in keeping your eyes focused on that. Um, and, and so that's kind of the precursor for this week. And it's really important um, for a handful of reasons, um, not the least of which is uh, um, if you come into this part of the text wrong, you're going to get it wrong and you're going to get lost. Does everybody get that? A few years ago, my wife and I went to Texas and we are driving through um, Arkansas, right? And, and I have this habit. I like to drive until, you know, until I'm unconscious, right? Like, like I will drive and drive and drive. And, and to my mind, like, you should not stop driving if you're okay to keep driving, right? 
Like, if I can drive 12 hours, thank you. (laughs) If I can drive, I'm going to keep going, right? Like, if I'm not asleep, if I'm not, you know, hey, I feel fine. I might be a little hungry, but I'm going to drive. And, and so what I do sometimes, because I'm, I'm sneaky and bad, um, is Jessica sleeps in the car really well. And so she dozes off. I'll turn off the radio, and I'll turn the warm up real good, and I'll put the headphones on, and I'll drive for hours while she's sleeping, right? I mean, hours. And, and, and then she'll wake up, and she'll be mad for a few minutes, and then, okay, we'll stop for the night. It's okay, you know. It's three in the morning. Nothing's open, you know. But... but <laughs> um, so we were going through Arkansas one time, and I did this. Anybody know what comes next? Took the wrong highway. <laughs> and after several hours, it's pitch black, and we're not on a highway anymore. <laughs> we're in the middle of Arkansas, and, and there are guys with banjos everywhere. It was awful. <laughs> and, and I had to wake her up and say, Honey, can you please get out the map and look? And, and it... I don't know. Is anybody else humiliated by maps? I <laughs> stupid know-it-alls. Um, <laughs> but but I had literally I had just driven in the wrong direction. You know, three hours. Um, it, it was like a movie scene, but I can't remember what the movie was, and I'm not going to say it in church. Um, <laughs> um, the young people all got that, and they're going to give me grief about it later. Um, and 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 that's what happens if you come at this passage wrong. You're going to come at it by driving in the wrong direction. And you're going to get exactly the wrong thing out of it. Okay? And so understand that this depends on you going in the right direction with it. Because if you do it wrong, it becomes the opposite of what it is. Um, Before we jump into the text itself, I'm going to, um, real quick, um, this letter was probably also delivered with the letter of Philemon, Philemon, Philemon. Um, Philemon was a slave who had escaped his slavery, gone on the run, probably stolen a bit of money from his master in the process, and then met Paul and become a Christian. And he served Paul in ministry for several years, is the assumption. And then eventually, you know, they have this discussion. He says, look, you know, you, you stole, you, you know, and, and the, the master had become a Christian since then. And so Philemon comes back with a letter for, from Paul to his master. Uh, Onesimus is the guy's name. And Paul writes this letter saying, look, this guy used to be somebody you own, but now he's your brother in Christ. And, you know, anything he stole, I'll pay for. And, you know, it would really appreciate it if you would, you know, if you would go ahead and just let him go, you know, and forget the past and, and, and let him be a free man and, and all this. Like, like, and, and that's important because there's this chunk in this text on slavery, right? Um, the other thing that Paul does here. As he's writing, and this is in last week's sermon, there's this big, great chunk of the text where he says, now in Christ, right, for those of us who are in Jesus, there's no longer Jew nor Greek, right? Jewish people were really like, I'm Jewish and you're not, kind of thing, you know, and they were really uppity about it. Um, There's no longer slave nor free, which he probably slipped in there because, you know, like he's got the freed slave delivering the letter. Um, There's no longer men nor women. I mean, like he, he literally says, look, in Jesus... We can't come up with differences. We're together, right? We're all together. That's all there is to it. You can't look, I can't look at Michael and say, oh, you know, Michael, he's, he is, you know, you're part Indian, aren't you? I, <laughs> fourth. I, I, I can't look at Carly and say, she's married into an Indian family. They're not one of us. You know, I can't look at, at other families and say, I can't come up with reasons that we're separate because we're not. 
right? Like we're all one in Christ. That's all, that's all junk after that. So that's important because as we look at this part of the letter, it's going to come up. So that is an awful lot of background. Let's jump into the, the text. Colossians 3.18. Um, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, there's, there's a bunch of folks here who just kind of, what? <laughs> and I, I'm, getting the, I'm getting the stern eye. Um, the wrong way to come at this is law, right? Last week, anybody here last week? We, we talked about law. What did we talk about law? It's like candy, right? You know, it's the thing that we want because law is good. If I use this as law, I can tell my wife over and over again, woman, you need to be subject to me. <laughs> Get me a sandwich, you know, and, and <laughs> she came around the corner. But this, this isn't law. Um, it is something different. Because what Paul was saying in the previous section, right, because we're taking it out of context otherwise, we're heading down the wrong road. What Paul says in the previous section, he says, listen, your job in life is not to be perfect at obeying the law. It's not. You're never going to be righteous before God because you obey, your, obey the law perfect. So if I pick this up and I say, all right, so in order for you to be right before God, you need to do this or else, right? I'm going right back to the candy, right? I'm going right back to the law is easy and this is what I want because, because law is powerful and it makes other people subject to me and all this other stuff. It's not what he's doing here. He is saying, right, because in the previous section what he says is, in order to be the person that Jesus made you to be, Right? You keep your eye on God. You keep your eye on this perfection in Christ. And you strive at that. It becomes the navigating point by which we steer. Right? Um, I was reading about... Um, I was reading about uh, cowboys. How they would navigate. You know, like when they would do cows. I guess they would take them in, uh, down cattle drives. I've never heard of such a thing. But apparently they used to do it. And they, there were different things that they would use. They would use the sun, right? And they'd hold up a watch, and they'd look at the watch based on, you know, the hour hand and all that. And they were able to, like, magically figure out which way was north based on that. I, I don't know. Um, and, and it's kind of a neat idea, but if you think about it, like, the sun is this fixed point, sort of, right? Like, it's always coming up in the same place. It's always sort of going down in the same place. Like, you don't get lost based on the sun. Or the North Star was another way, or, or what have you. There were these different things that they would use, and they would use them to navigate. And so, when we navigate this text, we look at Jesus, and we look at the perfect version of ourselves, and we say, how do I get there? That's my point of navigation. And so, wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Um, what he's talking about here... Um, He's talking about, first off, like, like he's talking about, like, like, you don't get to crush your husband, right? I mean, there are women who do that. Um, men have a natural inclination to push forward and lead. Is that pretty, pretty easy to agree on, right? Men tend to be pushy, in fact. That's sort of a nasty side effect. Um, men tend to say, this is what we're going to do, let's do it, right? And Paul is... Um, feeding into this concept. He's saying, listen, you guys need to, you know, you stand together. Um, you stand as a unit and you strive to be um, in this proper relationship with each other. Um, and so, like, you be subject to them. Like, you, you listen, you know, you participate, you interact. You don't, you don't try to, um, wow, I'm just, I'm getting in trouble here really quickly. Uh, <laughs> 
you don't try to you don't try to exert dominance. Now he's not done there because a lot of times you'll hear men say this, right? Has anybody ever heard a man say this? Like, oh, you need to listen to me, woman. He goes on, and you'll see this pattern in this text. Actually, it's um, the the party that tends to be like like in in the less dominant position, and then the dominant party. And so he goes this, and now husbands love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Here's where this is interesting. Like, first off, um, the word he uses there, love, is not um, eros, which is the Greek word that means like passionate love. That's that Romeo and Juliet love that burns out after 15 minutes. And then you, you know, <laughs> I, it, it's, 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 not, it's not eros, it's not romantic, it's not passionate, it's not like, like that sort of thing. It's agape. Now, the word agape, um, that, that kind of love means love that doesn't concern yourself over your own needs, but is primarily concerned with the needs of the other party. So it's actually the word that's almost always used to describe God's love for people, right? So like when he's saying here, he's saying, listen, husbands, you need to love your wives in such a way as to where it's their needs are more important than yours. You need to love them like, like agape love is best illustrated in Jesus dying on the cross for us, right? He's saying, listen, love your wives in a way that is just, just selfless, um, why does that matter? Well, I'm going to tell you. If, if my wife takes her part seriously, right, and she says the guidance for me, not the rule, this is the North Star, right? It's not the law. I break it and I get squished. It's in order to be as God designed me to be, I need to follow this guidance. The guidance there is she, she's got to be subject to me. We've got to have this relationship in which I'm allowed to be, the, be a man, right? Um, we come to the opposite end of that. My job then becomes love my wife, but love my wife sacrificially. So, whose needs are most important? Hers. And so, like, I, I may get up in the morning and, you know, I may want her to bring me breakfast in bed, but if, you know, if there's an opportunity, I need to serve her, right? Because it's agape love. Um, I may not want to go to work. Men, how many men really love going to work every day? I do, but... <laughs> um, thank you very much. <laughs> Um, I, I, n- not everybody loves going out and, and working, especially when it's like like 12 below outside, right? Who loves going out and chasing cows in 12 below? Like, it sounds fun, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't even like starting my car in 12 below. <laughs> um, I don't like opening the back door to let the dog out in 12 below. But husbands are supposed to stand in this role. Now, in this culture, husbands had enormous power. Right? Like in this culture, this ancient culture, husbands could do basically whatever they wanted. And he's saying, listen, it's not about what you want, it's about what they want. Um, it's about what they need. It's about taking care of your wife. That is what like, this love means. Now, he goes on, do not embitter them, or be embittered against them. Um, it's, it's, this is the New American Standard. It's a, kind of an odd translation. What he's talking about is, um, he's talking about being hard with them. He's, like, he's basically saying, don't mistreat them, right? Um, don't um, use your, your authority to crush, right? You don't step on them. Um, and there are men who do that. They use that, well, you're supposed to be subject to me, so, you know. He's saying, listen, first off, love them. Their needs are first. Secondly, um, don't crush your spouse. Now, you might say, well, first off, I'm not married, or I'm never going to be married again, or this doesn't really apply to me. 
we're going to hit pause and look at the standard here because it's a standard that's going to come up over and over again in this rule. It is when you deal with other people, you do not look at your own rights first. Right? How many of y'all do that with folks? The first thing you think is, what do you owe me? Or how should you be treating me? Or how should, what can I get out of this? Or he's saying that is not first. First is being like Jesus. Well, how is, how is being like Jesus at all? Well, Jesus is subject to God. Like, Jesus obeys God's command when he goes to the cross. In fact, he says in prayer beforehand, hey, if there's any other way, I'll not do this. But your will, not mine. And so, like, what he directs wives to do here is he directs them, be like Jesus. You know, be willing to be submissive if it's an appropriate thing. Husbands, be like Jesus. Serve. Sacrifice from yourself. Act in love. Um, the guidance, the north star in all of this is um, obeying Christ-likeness, being like Jesus, loving and serving first, not obey, it's love. Um, I have had things that I do at home that I also have done at work in the past. I love doing them at home, and I hate doing them at work, Right? I, I used to have to clean bathrooms as a part of my job at the children's home. And you never, ever, ever understand mess until you've seen a bathroom that 15 teenage boys use. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, yeah, three is enough, right? That is a tough target to hit. That's all I know. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> I, I don't feel bad about cleaning at home, right? I, I might grudge cleaning at work. Why? Because cleaning at work is something I'm getting paid to do. Cleaning at home is something I do because I love my family. Does that make sense? This is not an obey. It's a do because you love. I love my wife, and so I try not to be mean to her. I I sometimes am because I'm a big jerk, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, Paul, actually, this is a quick aside. I wanted to include something here. This is uh, Paul's exposition of the same idea. This whole thing is called a household code. And in Ephesians, he does a very similar one. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, um, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot, wrinkle, or blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Or, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but church, because we are members of his body, for this reason a man shall leave his... and so forth and so on. Like, like I, He's very brief there because it's not the driving point. What's he going after? He's saying, listen, if you're a husband... You know, love your wife so much that it's like this Jesus loving us thing, right? Like, it's the model. But over and over again, it's going to be the model for all our interactions, right? So, like, not just husbands and wives, but if we take this out of there, well, we'll come to that in a minute. Um, next section, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Carly, you're the only one sitting with our kids. <laughs> oh, nope, so is bad. Just nudging them. Hey, pay attention to this. Um, Here's where this gets challenging, actually. Children, in this, like, the word that's used here, children, actually is a reference to, like, children of all ages. Not like in the Disney Magic Kingdom kind of thing. In the, like, my parents thing. You are a child of your parents forever, right? You don't get to get away from it. Um, Sorry, Hannah. 
Oh, you guys are sitting together too. <laughs> Except that Brooke's in the back. Um, children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Um, what's this talking about? It's, there's a commandment. Every parent knows it. What is it? Honor your mother and father, right? Um, why do we honor our mother and father? Because, because it's God's design for the world, right? Um, what's he talking about here? Is this about crushing obedience, do it or, or else? No. It's about loving your parents and responding to them in an appropriate way. So, like, I love my mom and dad. If my mom and dad expect certain things out of me, I'm going to behave that way. If it's sinful and bad or inappropriate or harmful to my family, there's another conversation there. But um, being obedient is about loving and honoring in the same way, about responding like, like from a position of love. Um, here's where this gets tricky, because if we have the lesser party, who's the bigger party? Parents. But that's not what Paul does. Paul says fathers. In ancient like Greek and Roman culture, actually Roman specifically, the father had so much power that he could sell his children as slaves if he felt like it. I mean, you, you could literally be like, clean your room. No, all right. <laughs> if you're going to the auction. I mean, like he had that much power. <laughs> My kids would be terrible workers. I don't even know. Like, <laughs> um, but he goes to fathers because fathers have so much authority. But, and this is one, again, like how many of y'all have heard a parent say, Parents, or children, you're supposed to be obedient, right? That's law. That's heading down the wrong road. Um, it's not a commandment for me to remind my kids of. It's a reminder for my kids that they're supposed to be obedient. Just like, well, just like Jesus was obedient to the Father, right? Act in a way that is in love obedient. So fathers, do not exasperate your children um, so that they will not lose heart. What's he saying here? Well, exacerbate children. Do not dump so much command on them that it crushes them. Right? Anybody ever see a parent like that where like their child can't make minor steps without direction? Hannah's looking at her mom. Um, <laughs> um, where every minor decision and every minor thing um, is, is calculated and controlled or even worse, where a parent can't say, I would like for you to do this in a loving way, right? Because there's a difference between loving your child and encouraging them and loving your child and wanting to strangle them and yelling at them, right? Not that that doesn't happen. But basically what Paul is saying here is, listen, as you parent, you're supposed to parent from a position of love, right? Not control, not command, not crushing authority. He's saying, hey... You need to love your kids, and in the way you raise them, it needs to be reflected in not crushing them so that they will not lose heart. Um, it's kind of, again, like the phrasing here. Um, it's all about higher motivation. It's all about keeping them focused on what's, what's right. But, like, if I – has anybody ever seen somebody so crushed by command that they're ready to give up? And they say, well, I don't care, or I don't want anything else of this. Um, it, it, he's saying, make obedience easy, right? I had, uh, I had two different uh, bosses in Indiana that I'm going to talk about. I had one that threatened to fire me three times a week. Like, he tossed my office sometimes, right? He would literally, he would come in and, like, dump my drawers out and yell at me. Um, and I did great work under him because he, he, you know, kicked my backside every other day. But I didn't like working for him. 
right? Like, I, I didn't like working for him at all. But he got results, but I was miserable, right? And eventually, I was going to leave. I wasn't going to work for him. In fact, he offered me a job a few years later. He left and went and worked for another church in another community. He called me. He said, you are the best youth pastor I ever had. I will hire you today if you'll come out here and work. And I said, no. <laughs> I said, heck no. Um, there was no way I was going to go work for him again. Why? Because he, he crushed me, right? Like I, He didn't get me to respond, you know, I want to do these things. It was, I have to do them. Um, I worked for another guy later on who, I, I made huge mistakes sometimes, and I, I was never formally reprimanded. And one day I asked him why, and he said, well, because I could tell you're trying to do the right thing. You're not being lazy. You just, it's a mistake, and how can I... How can I reprimand you for doing something, trying to do the right thing, right? We had a kid uh, at the children's home who climbed up on top of a building. And I, I, we were standing around like, what are we supposed to do? I mean, he's up on top of this three-story building, and, you know, and so I climbed a tree and went up there with him. And I sat down with him, and, and the CEO saw me from his office window, and I almost got fired because I climbed on top of the building. And, well, you put yourself in danger. If you'd gotten hurt, what would have happened? And all this other stuff. And my boss stepped up and said... He tried to do the right thing, and so it's not wrong. It may have been a poor choice, but it was the right thing. How far would I go for that guy? Right? I would have I done anything if he had asked me to. Anything at all. Why? Because he responded to me in love. Like he saw, you know, he saw what was right, and he, he loved me and guided me. It's a very different thing. What Paul is talking about here, he's saying, listen, um, fathers, you know, you don't, don't throw so much at your kids that they become crushed. Love them and guide them. Your job is to raise them and make them better, not to control them. It's a tough thing, isn't it? Um, so fathers and children. Now, here's where this is going to get tough. Um, this is 22 to 24. Slaves. This is a cultural, a very different culture than ours, right? Um, slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. We're going to hit pause here. Um, there are people in the past who've used this to say, oh, well, Paul believed slavery was right. And I don't think that's accurate. What Paul is doing here is he's saying, listen, if you are a person who finds yourself in a position of slavery, what you need to do is, whatever you do, do it to the best of your ability. Right? I may hate my job, but I can't show up to work and, like, half-heart my work. Um, I, I may not like the people that I associate with, but I can't throw out, like, the worst of the worst I have and think, why? Because everything I do, this is where the passage closed last week, everything you do, do it in the name of the Lord. So if I show up to work and I hate my job and I do a half-hearted half job and I, and I phone in the whole thing, what am I doing? Well, I'm not doing it in the name of the Lord, and if I am... <laughs> then I need to be nervous, right? Like, he's calling us to live out our faith in a meaningful way, no matter what the circumstance. Um, there are other ways that we see this play out in the, in the teachings of Jesus, right? Like, um, Jesus talks about uh, if somebody mistreats you, what are you supposed to do? Look for an opportunity to stick them in the back? <laughs> no, you do the best you can to serve them better than they expected of you. He said, if somebody makes you carry their gear for a mile, what are you supposed to do? Go to, 
right? And this is a reference. Roman soldiers would sometimes recruit civilians, and I mean recruit like, come over here and do it or I'll kill you. And they'd say, here's my armor, carry it. It's heavy. I don't want to. And you would walk with them for a while. And Jesus says, listen, if somebody mistreats you, take it an extra further. Like, show them the exact opposite of what they expect. Um, as Christians, as people who are followers of Jesus, we're supposed to act in a way that is in harmony with the teachings of Jesus. Like, we're supposed to aim at that Jesus thing, right? Like, that be Christ-like thing. Is this a law? Do it or else? No. This is a North Star guide for how we're supposed to live. How am I supposed to live if I am a slave? I probably won't ever be a slave. I am married, so there's that. But <laughs> I love you, honey. Um, <laughs> um, I, if I ever end up a slave, I'm supposed to be the best darn slave I can be. Because slavery is right? No. Because as a believer, I need to do my best, the best way I can, at every opportunity. Because it reflects on Him. And because everything I do, I do in the name of the Lord. Um, he goes on, Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you, or the Lord Christ whom you serve. Um, what did slaves inherit, inherit when their masters died? Do you know? Nothing. <laughs> He's saying, listen, you're a part of an inheritance. Your life now may be crummy, but this isn't the life that's going to last forever. You and me, we're passing through, right? On a good day, I may get, you know, 80, 90 years. But after that eternity, a little bit longer, right? Like if we gauge eternity from the back wall to the, you know, back wall to the other end of the room, like my lifetime is slightly less than a piece of paper. And by slightly, I mean a lot less. Like eternity is a lot longer. He says, listen, worry about what matters. Worry about what, what counts. And what counts isn't today. What counts is the future. What counts is eternity. Keep your eyes on that. It may be miserable now, but the time is coming. Now, Paul devoted like three verses right here to slavery, right? Why did he do that when he only devotes one verse to everything else? Well, part of it is because of Philemon, right? Because of, of this run or Philemon's the master and Odysseus is the slave. I don't know why I got that backwards. Um, <laughs> part of this is because of Philemon, because he's had this returned slave who came back. And, and the guy came back knowing that he could be executed, knowing that he could be put back in slavery. But he did it because this is the standard. If I'm supposed to be Christ-like, what am I supposed to be? Like Jesus. I don't do things the wrong way because it doesn't fit me. I do things the right way because it fits Jesus. Um, we go on from there. 325. It's a bridge verse between slaves and masters. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Um, meaning, like, and this, this is a bridge, and it's funny, people debate as to whether this is pointing back to the slave. Like, if you're going to do the wrong thing, understand God's not going to bless it. Right? Like, I, I may have a co-worker who's a big jerk. Anybody have a, ever have co-workers who are big jerks? You know, or, wow, <laughs> don't point. <laughs> I may have people around me. I may have neighbors. I may have people I encounter. I may have family members who are big jerks, right? But I still have to act right. I still have to act right. God isn't going to bless me if I stick them every time I get a chance. 
That's not the command. I'm not becoming Christ-like if I seek revenge at every opportunity. What's he talking about? He says, listen, if you're going to do wrong, wrong, you know, God's not going to bless it. You're going to get what, you know, what you're earning there. Um, the other end of that, though, he shifts into masters. He says, masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you, too, have a master in heaven. So there's a bit of a double edge to this. If you're going to treat people wrong, understand you're not at the top of the food chain, right? I may be a master. I'm, like, if I own 35 slaves or whatever, the fact of the matter is that, like, a much bigger and scarier master is over me, right? And so as a believer, I need to understand justice and rightness and fairness is part of what part of the deal here. There's some people that argue that this is pushing in the direction of not having slaves at all, but I... I, it, it might be inherent in it. Like, I think what Paul is pushing at is saying, if you are going to be somebody, you need to be the person that's godly, right? You need to be the person that's like Jesus. You need to be the person who is acting in a righteous way. Um, how does this apply? Because most of y'all aren't slave owners, right? No. Some of y'all may not. I mean, a lot of y'all aren't married. What are you, what are you supposed to do? Everything you do, everything you do, the North Star is being like Jesus, right? So you go to work. You don't sneak in 15 minutes late and duck out 15 minutes early. Why? Because you're not being, it's not right. You're basically stealing time at that point. Um, as a parent, what are you supposed to do? Love your child. Don't crush them. As a child, what are you supposed to do? Be right before your parents. As a taxpayer, as much as I hate taxes, you don't cheat on them, Right? Because it's not our job. Our job isn't to, isn't to you know, grab for everything we can. Our job is to be as like Jesus as possible. As a friend, right? Some of you all have friends. Is that right? <laughs> as a friend, what are you supposed to be like? You're supposed to be somebody who's like Jesus, who loves other people, who's a blessing to them, who is like salt in the world, right? Like So anybody ever go to McDonald's and get the fries without salt? They're awful. You're supposed to be the thing that makes life worth living, the thing that makes life like like wonderful. And people who are like Jesus are like that. Um, how many of y'all know people like that in your life? You can point now if you want. <laughs> you can point at Brooke, and I'll point at the Durgas, and I'll point at. I mean, like I can point at a lot of people in this room because folks who are Christ-like they affect you in an enormous way. They're wonderful to be around. Um, and beyond that, these are people that are in God's grace, right? Like they're aiming, they're heading in the right direction. Um, it doesn't always make sense. One time we were in Costa Rica. Um, like we've only, I've only been in Costa Rica once. And we were driving to the, to the coast to go to the beach. And we had a GPS. And this GPS, I don't know, it was like magic. Because it, it was, I mean, Costa Rica is not a... Not a not a nice place in a lot of spots, but it had us driving through tin shack villages, and it, it, it got us to a point where we were literally driving down a goat path. I'm not exaggerating. It was a stinking goat path. Um, we drove down a road where they had obviously, like, cut it recently in the dirt, and, like, you could see where the ends of the branches that they had cut off to clear the road were still. And, and we're driving, and we're like, is this for real? Like, are you serious? Is this really a road? Stop and get the ox out of the way. And we did have to shoo an ox out of the road once. And we're thinking, how is this even reasonably going to get us where, I, where we were going? How often do you think the GPS was wrong? It wasn't. 
Even if it took us insane routes, it always got us where we were going. There are times in your walk with Jesus, right, where you are going to look and that North Star is going to say, this is what you need to do now. And you're going to think, I am not doing that, right? I am not praying for that guy. He's a tool. I am not pray- I'm sorry, I should not have said it that way. I am not... I am not serving this person. They mistreat me. I am not loving this person. Nobody loves them. Their mom doesn't even love them. Guess what? If you're doing that, you're saying, the North Star ain't my guide. I'm going to pick my own path. And you may get where you're going. You may not. But I'll guarantee you, if you obey, if you, it's not even obey. It's if you aim at the destination, like loving people the way Jesus loved them and being like Jesus the place you're going to end up is going to be infinitely better than the place you'll end up if you go your own path. How many of y'all have ever gone your own path and destroyed everything along the way? I'm just going <laughs> to... I'll raise both hands. Um, God's path isn't always easy. It's not always fun, but it's the one that's going to get you where you're going. As we come at texts like this, as we, uh, we're going to close in prayer. I don't know. Oh, we're doing communion today, actually. Um, um, <laughs> let me call my ushers forward for communion. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we um, gather to, to um, take the Lord's Supper together, um, one of the reasons we do this is as a reminder. It's as a, as a thing that draws our attention back to the fact that, like Jesus said, unless you drink my blood and eat my body, you, you, know, you have no place in the kingdom of heaven. What's he talking about? We're cannibals now? No. You need to take his teachings into you in such a way, in such a way that it goes right down to the heart of who you are and changes you. It goes right down to the core of you and it resets you based on that North Star or based on the new map. And so as we, as we gather for communion, um, as we gather to take the Lord's Supper, um, bring your heart into a place where you ask, is this something that's touching the very heart of who I am? the very core of who I am? Am I a different person walking a different path because Jesus is teaching, because Jesus' grace has pierced me to the core? You may take the bread and take the wine or the juice as you, uh, as you receive it, but, but um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took his bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he says, take and eat. This is my body broken for you as a sign of the everlasting covenant. Do this in remembrance of me.